0: Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown the Podcast. From the historic Zone Radio
1: studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball. Well, that's me. Hello there. Welcome. It is Downtown the Podcast, all right. Episode number 281. Brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. All right, I hope you're ready for some country music this week. That's a road that we're wandering down. In uh, just a moment, we'll hear our conversation with Nancy Jones, the widow of the great George Jones, and we dip into the archives for a conversation from a few years ago with the legendary singer and songwriter, Whispering Bill Anderson. Up first, though, uh, Nancy Jones spent 32 years with George Jones, 30 of them as his wife. Not always an easy time, either, in both the... Uh, The good, the bad, and some of the ugly chronicled in her new memoir, Playin' Possum, My Memories of George Jones. Here's Nancy Jones on downtown. Well, let's talk about uh, a scary incident that really led to this wonderful book, Playin' Possum, and and that was what you went through battling COVID and uh, had a a pretty close call there and also a very spiritual experience. That I
2: definitely did. I... uh... I died. I had no pulse, and they were, uh, I guess, ready to pronounce me dead, but, you know, I wasn't, but I got down to 92 pounds. I had no hair. Uh, 70% of my lung had a had a fungus, and I had to uh, learn how to walk again, and I was months and months in ICU, and that's when I thought that I want to write this book I was married to George for 30 years, together 32 years, and who else would know George any better than I do? And I just couldn't leave this world without letting people know the the real sweet, wonderful husband that I did have and the one that I worked on getting those demons out of.
1: You absolutely did, but let's, let's talk about your first meeting. Uh, you had a friend that wanted to take you to see George in concert. You not only didn't know his music, you didn't even know who he was.
2: Did not even like country music. And <laughs> I was so into Creedence Clearwater. Oh man, I mean, I used to joke about it and said, "You put on Cle- Creedence Clearwater, and I could clean a whole house up in ten minutes." Because <laughs> I loved that music, but. My girlfriend just kept on and kept on, please go with me, go with me. So finally I gave in, and I went to uh, New York and met George, and I just was like, okay. Then we went to the the um, show that afternoon, and I've never seen anybody that could sing and praise the music and the lips and all this like he was doing and never moving his mouth. I thought that was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Those words coming out of this man's mouth, and he's hardly moving it. But it was just, I was hooked then. I just loved every song he was singing. It was all about life, and and I was enjoying it.
1: Well, and you two had a connection right away. You you explain in the book that you, you stayed up uh, pretty much all night and talked.
2: It was like rich it was like he wanted to just pour his heart out i mean he was telling me things that he said i've never told anybody and i was listening and i just let him talk and that's what he kept saying i've never had nobody to really sit and listen to what i have to say and i did i listened and understood a lot of things that he was saying and he was just wanting to people or somebody to listen to him and i did i had the patience and i listened to him and when it was time for me to go home he said i don't want you to leave please don't leave me and i'm like i have a job and two 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 children i gotta go and so by the time that i got on my plane commercial (laughs) flying from new york to uh freeport louisiana well you know It was an all-day thing for me, and by the time I got to my house, there was George at my house. I come around there, and I'm like, who is that? Who is that car? Who is that? And it was George. He had chartered a plane, rented him a car, and was at my house, and stayed there, and the rest is history.
1: Well, it sure is. We're talking with Nancy Jones about her new book with Ken Abraham, Plan Possum, My Memories. Of George Jones. You, you knew about the drinking. You saw that early on. But uh, when you began to see cocaine, it was completely foreign to you. You you had never seen cocaine before.
2: I had never, ever in my life seen cocaine. I couldn't understand why he was putting this little white powder up his nose. I And when I did ask, I'm, like I said, I didn't sugarcoat anything in my book. I wanted to tell the truth. And when I did ask, he thought I was making fun of him. So, yes, he just waylaid me across the face, and I was like, "You got to be kidding! I don't—I'm not making fun. I don't know what that is, and I don't know if it's the innocent thing about me that I did not know that he liked, or what it was. But he was like, "I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I would have never thought that you didn't know what it was. I had no idea." Had no idea, but it did not take me long to understand that cocaine and drinking uh, could change a man's way of thinking as fast as it did his.
1: Boy, and you saw that up close and personal when you moved to Muscle Shoals, which was uh, a pretty target-rich environment there for the drug dealers. And, And a scary situation, as you describe in the book, Nancy, that those drug dealers wanted you out of the way.
2: They wanted me way out of the way more ways than what you can imagine and i did like i said i i put as much as i could in the book about how they were trying to get rid of me and my daughter and i did as much as i could because i was the one later on that ended up uh, sending them to prison
1: well i know people have asked you about this and and you're very upfront about it in the book when friends and and people who didn't even know you asked of why you stayed with the drugs, the alcohol, the violence. And, and, you know, you for me, it's not for us to judge. You're the one who lived that life. And, and you felt you were in many ways on a mission that maybe you were the only person that could save George from himself.
2: And I did feel that. I I felt that. And he would tell me, you know, if you ever leave me, I don't think that I could live. I I really believe that. I know that uh, God, I knew that God was with me. There, there's no doubt about it. God was with me through this whole ordeal. And I uh, I did a lot of praying. And you have to really love somebody as much as I love that man to, to stick it out and knowing that one time, if I ever left, that he would die. So I was trying my best to get the healing power of God into him. And I worked so hard to do it. And in this book, you will read, how hard it was, what I went through, and how God helped me, and how this man was saved.
1: Well, and we also learned, too, uh, because anybody who just knew the public persona doesn't know what George was like in person, and I think the thing that comes through the book is what a wonderful sense of humor he had.
2: Yeah, he was a funny person. When he wasn't drinking, he was funny, and he was so funny that, Rich, he didn't even know he was funny. We'd all be just laughing and on the floor laughing at him and he's like what are y'all laughing at (laughs) he was just funny and i did stress a lot of that in my book on some of the things that he said and did and i think i think his fans will just love how innocent he was on a lot of things that he he would uh do and not knowing that uh, he was funny
1: well, uh, one of the things that you did uh, to help him turn around his life and his career was taking control of the business side of things, and that was fascinating, too. I, I emceed a show with George way back in the late 70s or, or early 80s uh, in the days when people were calling him No-Show Jones. Well, as you point out in the book, there were some promoters who took advantage of that by claiming that he didn't show up or didn't play full dates when he actually did.
2: That were keeping the deposit. Mm. And I never in my life felt so sorry for a postman trying to get all of those no-shows in the mailbox. And so I just thought it was time that I take over and try to get his name back and, and and help him. So I just started calling every promoter that I could. And they were like, nope, we we don't trust him. He won't show up. I'm like, I promise you, he will show up. He will show up. I went through 200 no-shows and got them all back it was i mean i'm sorry 200 lawsuits that i went through for he was a no-show i went through every one of those lawsuits called every promoter i could and got that cleared
1: i love the story of how you decided to reach out to tammy Wynette.
2: tammy Wynette was my friend I really did like Tammy Wynette, and it's so funny, after me and her got close, she said, I tried every way I could, Nancy, not to like you, but I just can't. She said, you're just a wonderful person. And we became very good friends, and I could never understand how George and Tammy could not get alone. It is not what everybody is like, oh, my God, they're so in love, and they resist. Lord, no, they were not.
1: <laughs> well, me. and especially in the story of uh, when they recorded the the reunion album in the mid nineties and went out on tour that that took uh, both you and George Ritchie to convince them to do. But it was uh, it seemed like it was a struggle every night that uh, both of them trying to get the upper hand in that.
2: Oh, every single night it was. They, you know, they were on the stage, and I, I used to say. Y'all need to be in the movies. I've never seen two people act like that, like each other on the stage. Off they come off that stage, and it was just like he was hollering at her, she was hollering at him. Uh, You could see that they just did not like each other. (laughs) So one night, she was on the stage too long, and he told me to go unplug her. I said, I am not unplugging (laughs) that woman. That's crazy. Well, when she finally comes down the stairs and passes him, He said something to her, and she started crying. And I, I I went after her. And he said, "Yeah, go baby her. That's what's wrong with her." I go in her dressing room, and I said, "Tammy, you know you just got to stop it." I said, "He," she said, "I can't stand him. I hate him." I said, "Well, you know he hates you too. So you both (laughs) get this show going and forget it." And she was like, started laughing then. So, I, I. I renamed the tour. I, I renamed
1: it The Tour from Hell. <laughs> Nancy Jones with us. Her book is called Playing Possum. Well, a, a turning point uh, and nearly the end of George's life came with that horrific car accident in 1999. But uh, when he recovered from that, and uh, it's harrowing to read your account of seeing him trapped inside that vehicle. And, and it could have easily been the end. But he he turned his life over to God and, and to you and vowed that he would be a different man and did that for the next, uh, what, 14 years?
2: Yes, from 99 until 2013. You couldn't have asked for a better husband. And, you know, in my book, I will say we were, the doctor kept saying, I need, you need to keep him walking, keep him walking. So we was like on 100 acres. And he's. I told him, I said, we need to go walking now. Come on. So I take him walking a little bit. And he says, I just can't walk any further. So we had a little bridge there. So he sat down on that bridge and that's whenever he said, I can't go any further. Can you go get the golf cart? Well, I started walking up the hill to go get the golf cart. And I heard George say, God, if you get me through this, I'll never have another cigarette. I'll never have another drink. I'll never do anything wrong. He said, I just want to be a perfect husband for this woman that has really sat here and fought for my life. That's when I believed him. All the times he said before, I never believed him. This time, it was like God said to me, y'all have finally accomplished something. He <laughs> is going to be a good man. And he was from the time that, 99 to 2013, what a wonderful marriage.
1: Well, and the times you spent together at Nestledown Farm, the holidays there. And, and, and as you mentioned, he didn't have a close relationship to christmas because he had so so many unhappy memories of that holiday from his childhood but i feel like you gave that back to him
2: I did i really worked really hard on that and you know uh one other thing was that he told me this he said one day he him and Tammy was fussing that morning and he said i just wanted to i wanted to just get out of the house just leave for a little bit So I was going to go to the boat where Billy Sher was, and he said it was Christmas uh, Day. And when he got back, uh, Tammy had had a guy to come and change the lock. And and it was hard for me to take away the childhood he had of a bad Christmas, plus take away that of a bad Christmas. But, you know, I worked on it so hard, and he ended up loving Christmas. (laughs)
1: There's so many wonderful stories in the book and there's been a lot of talk about you telling the full story of what happened when uh, when George lost the keys and got on that tractor. But I want people to read that in the book. But the amazing story of how well fried chicken saved his life stealing Patsy Cline's fried chicken. That's an amazing story.
2: (laughs) Yes, that one. I think he should have ate chicken the rest of his life. But (laughs) what happened was that he had he was drinking. And uh, he said that uh, Patsy always had chicken right after she'd come off one of her shows. So he had told her, can I fly home with you tonight? She said, well, sure you can. So whenever she was on the stage, George ate all of her chicken, <laughs> every bit of it. So when she came off, she said, who ate my chicken? George said, I did. He said, Patsy, I was drunk. I was trying to sober up to do my show. She said, well, you're not flying home. She said, "Just for that, you will not fly home, George," and that it saved his life. That's when they they uh, the plane wrecked.
1: Well, it seemed like he was certainly at peace at the end of his life, and and well, even telling you, you know, not to be sad," and "I'm not to worry," that he knew he was in good hands at the end.
2: He knew he was going to heaven. Yes, he did. And you know, I um, I guess I could tell this part is in my book also. He didn't talk for two or three days in the hospital. He Mm. was just like in a coma-like. And I was sitting there rubbing his feet. And all of a sudden, in that rough little voice, you know, he had that rough voice. And you knew it was George Jones if he talked. And he just said, well, hello there. I've been looking for you. My name's George Jones. And he died.
1: That's a remarkable story. Nancy.
2: You know. I was George, that that would be George, with his mannerism, introducing himself to Jesus.
1: <laughs> Nancy, how do you hope people remember George?
2: Oh, they have to remember George as such a sweet man, a man that loved country music. I mean, he would—you couldn't change him. And he just was such a ballad man, and all of his songs was, would touch people's hearts. And that's what I want them to remember. I want to remember the music that he fought so hard to keep country music, and I hope someday that the ballads and things would come back as the way that he planned for them to be, and as far as George's legacy, I will always always do what I can to to get his keep his legacy doing going because I tell you what he did in the hospital. I was telling him, you know, I will always keep your legacy going, George. I said, because you're an icon. And he said, honey, don't say that. I can't even spell that word. (laughs) And I thought that was the cutest thing ever.
1: Nancy Jones talking about her book, Plan Possum, here on downtown. A break right now for a word from Cross Insurance. And we'll come back with a visit to the archives and another country music legend, Bill Anderson, next.
0: strength
1: though you broke my heart still though we're far apart I love you, oh back in 1963 a big country crossover hit for Whisperin' bill anderson one of country music's most legendary singers and songwriters who's Had quite a career. We had a chance to catch up with Bill a few years ago to talk about his role in the making of the Ken Burns documentary on country music and so much more. We thought we'd visit a trip to the past this week with Bill Anderson here on downtown. I believe either the first or second interview I ever did in my radio career was with you some 40 many years ago. Well,
3: if your career survived that, then you've done well.
1: (laughs) Well, it was either you or Sonny James, and and all I came away remembering was, man, if everybody is as nice as those two guys, this will be a pretty easy gig. Oh, my goodness, where were you then? Right here. I'm gone anywhere. That's my career. I've crossed town in 45 years.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a big town.
1: (laughs) Uh, well, I want to talk with you, first of all, about uh, the wonderful Ken Burns documentary on country music. We've talked to Ken about it and Roseanne Cash and-, and Kathy Matea. How did you get involved in that project?
3: Well, I got a phone call through my uh, publicist, I guess, was how it started back in the beginning. It's been, golly, what, four or five years ago, I guess, since I uh, uh, recorded my part and heard what uh, what was going down, that he was doing it. And i uh, such a big fan of ken burns and his work uh, i'm a big baseball fan and of course i followed his uh, baseball documentary and i thought anything ken burns puts his hand on and i got a chance to be a part of it i want to take advantage of that so i was tickled to death that i got the call
1: and so obviously as a fan of his uh, you had yeah, a pretty good idea that he would cover the task thoroughly but boy it's such a, a big subject but from what i've seen he managed to touch all the bases
3: Willie really did. Uh, he he's just uh, he's just the best at at what he does, and and surrounds himself with uh, with people. Dayton Duncan, who uh, wrote the mm. uh, I guess the, the script as it were. There's no script really, but he edited it and all. And uh, they're they're just such consummate professionals. It was it was so much fun to work with them, and and uh, and, and to, to just to watch the way that they did things. It was just top notch all the way.
1: Well, and it really reminds us that the story of country music is in many ways the story of America. People growing up in uh, all kinds of diverse backgrounds but found their way to this music, and and the story continues. But uh, it really is a remarkable piece that he's put together. We had a chance to watch the whole thing, and I can't wait for the rest of the country to see it in September.
3: Well, I can't either because I think it's going to... I was thinking earlier today, knowing that we were going to talk about this, I was thinking, you know... I think this documentary will will kind of uh, kind of affirm to to my generation, the older generation that that what we thought country music was and is uh, really did happen. <laughs> We're going to actually <laughs> see this footage and and to the younger audience it's going to say, Hey, country music was here long before Garth Brooks came along. And I think that and no disrespect to Garth, whatever, whatsoever, because I love him and love what he's done for our format. But I'm just saying that country music history is is rich and, and deep, and uh, I, I think it's going to kind of bring it home to, to all generations.
1: Well, I, the other part that I think is very poignant is that so many people that Ken and his people interviewed have passed away since those interviews, one of them uh, uh, being your friend Mac Wiseman. You had a wonderful tribute to him on your website, and it really creates a historical record for those members of the country music family who are no longer with us.
3: Well, it does, and uh, that will strike both a a chord of nostalgia, I think, and and maybe a a note of sadness as we realize that uh, we have lost so many of the people who contributed so much to this format.
1: Bill, want to talk about your remarkable career, and um, the, my, there's a reason you're so good with us radio guys, because you started out in the business uh, back in Georgia.
3: <laughs> I had a 1,000-watt daytime AM radio station. <laughs> that On a good day, you could pick it up 30 miles down the road. <laughs> but uh, I love radio, and I envy you guys that get to work in it on a daily basis because uh, it was in my blood from a very – early age and and it's still in my blood. I I love radio and love the fact that that it uh, provided me with a great foundation for being in the music business.
1: Of course, while you were working in radio, uh, you wrote a little tune. It it did fairly well. City Lights certainly opened up a lot of doors for you.
3: I've heard that song. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> boy, it did open up the doors. It it really did. Of course, I wrote it up on top of a little tiny three-story hotel in a little town called Commerce, Georgia. Had no idea the night that I put it down on the back of an old radio station envelope, that it was going to do what it did and uh, and be the catalyst, the of jumping-off place for a for a career that I hadn't even dreamed of at that point. But it just goes to show in this crazy business, you know, it just just one little thing like that can just turn the uh, so your whole world upside down and that's what it did for me
1: well it led you to move to nashville eventually signing with Decca records and then a remarkable string of hits uh, so many of them are just classics so like tip of my fingers of course poe folks mama sang a song and then for you none bigger than still which became a huge crossover hit as well did you ever think growing up in south carolina that uh, you'd be playing on those rock and roll stations
3: They used to tell me, they'd say, Anderson, you couldn't go pop with a mouthful of firecrackers, but uh, I proved them wrong once. (laughs) Uh, You just never know.
1: We're talking with Bill Anderson here on Downtown. You had a great string of uh, duet hits in the 60s with uh, Jan Howard. It's so good to see her on the Ken Burns series as well, later with Mary Lou Turner. what's Is it, is it different uh, being a good duet partner? What's the key to that? Because you were one of the most successful.
3: Well, thank you. Yeah, I was very blessed. I had two uh, wonderful duet partners, two great ladies, and, uh, and had a, at least one number one record with both of them. You know, I don't know. You you The duet thing is it's you learn to do a little more give and take, I guess, maybe than you do when you're just working on your own or just recording on your own. You have to kind of uh, certainly consider the other person and their viewpoints and their, their input. And, and Jan and Mary Lou both, but neither one of them was afraid to stand up and say, hey, I think we ought to do it like this or no, I don't think we ought to do it this way. And I was just so fortunate to uh, to be able to work with with each one of them. I had seven years with Jan and seven years with Mary Lou, and uh, and I wouldn't take anything for for either one of those.
1: Do you think of yourself first as a singer or as a songwriter?
3: Oh, golly, I don't I don't know. Songwriter probably because songwriting is what opened the doors for me and and allowed me to become a performer and do some things uh i'm not a great singer technically i know that i, I have a style and i've been able to develop a style uh i guess if uh, you know if i were to fall over dead tomorrow and i hope i don't uh, i think the thing that uh that i would be remembered for if anything would probably be the songs first and foremost yeah
1: well, wow, and so many classics that others have recorded, uh, Connie Smith's two biggest hits, Cincinnati, Ohio, once a day, uh, two teardrops for Steve Warner, uh, music, uh, that has been recorded by the likes of Kenny Chesney, Brad Paisley, Allison Krauss, and, and still out there writing songs and recording, uh, with some of today's biggest country stars, uh, the Jamie Johnson's of the world. They all want to record with Whisperin' bill. Well,
3: well I want to record with them too. And, uh, Long as they want to do it, I'll try to do my part. I love being around some of these young new writers and performers because uh, I-, I learn from them. They say they learn from me, and if they do, that's great. But when I can get with one of these these uh, these young writers, and I've been writing with several of them that that you haven't even heard of yet, that I think some that you're going to, uh, it it, it's a, it 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 energizes me. It's like, hey, you know. Uh, these kids weren't even born when city lights came out or when still came out and here we are sitting down together trying to create something for their fans and for my fans. It, it energizes me. It really does. And, and I enjoy the fact that I've been able to do it as long as I have.
1: You also have had a very successful second career on television as a, a TV talk show host, a game show host, and even, uh, what was it? Two or three years doing daytime drama.
3: Oh, go ahead. Call it a soap opera. My whole life, people ask me about being at the soap opera, which was a show called One Life to Live on ABC. People say, you were in a soap opera. I say, my whole life has been a soap opera. So uh, that was fun. You know, I knew nothing about game shows. I knew nothing about soap operas and all of a sudden found myself in the middle of them. And and I treated it as part of the learning process, you know, learn something every day if you can. And and I learned uh, that that those are two terrific worlds full of a lot of great and talented people. And I was just glad to get to kind of stick my nose in the door there (laughs) for a while.
1: Well, you've also done a show that I think uh, much like what Ken Burns is doing uh, is a great testament to the history of country music and uh, the country's family reunion on rfd tv I-, I can't get enough of it i love it it's great to see all all the giants of country music uh, together with some of the youngsters and, and man it's a great education and some amazing memories as well
3: well i agree with you i've got the great education out of it just uh somebody asked me the other day said uh, do you ever do you learn anything when you go in there i said i learn something every time somebody opens their mouth because uh, even though i know these people and and i've crossed paths with them a lot of them for years and years they'll come up with something as we sit there in that circle and say by the way did i ever tell you about the time and then here comes something that is brand new to me so i really enjoy doing that show we been doing it now for a little over 22 years and i hope we can continue
1: uh your latest album just called anderson because when you've been around as long as bill anderson you don't even need you can just be one name now but it's it's tremendous music i love it
3: thank you i appreciate it i i enjoy working on this project i worked with a uh, peter cooper who's a dear friend and who helped me uh, write my uh, autobiography back in 2016 peter helped produce this record along with a very talented uh, musician and engineer here in town named Tom Utes. It was a it was a fun project to work on. A little more acoustical oriented, I guess, than some of the other things I've done over the years. But it was a fun project to do. And yeah, we we spent a lot of creative energy coming up with the name for
1: that album. <laughs> and uh, you're you're not taking any time off. You're playing the opera this weekend.
3: Well, I love the opera. Love the fact that they still let me go out there and uh, and get on the stage and. Try to entertain the people, and I still do 30, 35 uh, tour dates a year, uh, kind of at a pace where I can manage it. I'm not out there 200 days like I used to be, like these young people are. I'll let them do that, but I still enjoy going out and meet the people and visiting with them. I I don't know what I would do if I if I weren't doing that. I, I I'm not the kind to of sit around and twiddle my thumbs, and and uh, and I still enjoy it. And as long as the good Lord grants me good enough health to continue to do it, then that's what I'm
1: going to do. Well, speaking of the Opry, I, one of my favorite moments in that Ken Burns series is you telling the story about the opening of the new Opry after the after the Ryman was closed, and what a terrific story that was.
3: Thank you. Well, that that is etched very deeply in my mind, uh, that, that particular night and the time that I that i went out front to watch the the opening of it i thought i'll only have one chance in my lifetime to see this and i want to see it and i stood out there in the audience and had tears running down my face and then all of a sudden i remembered that the artists were going to be on in alphabetical order my name starts with an a so i better
1: (laughs) (laughs) now we know you're a big baseball guy are you a braves fan
3: well, I grew up in Atlanta. Spent most of my growing up years around there, and I've gotten to know a lot of the people in the Braves organization over the years. And yeah, I'm a big Braves fan, very much so. And excited—they've—they've uh, they've got a young, uh, exciting team this year. They'll give you a heart attack about the eighth inning every night <laughs> when, you, when they have to call on their bullpen. But uh, but it's fun to follow them, and uh, I got a lot of good friends on the team and and in the organization.
1: Well, Bill, we, we need to catch up more frequently than every 45 years or so. It's been wonderful to talk with you again. Thank you so much for making time with us.
3: Well, thank you, Rich. I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, let, let's try to do it before another 45 years go by while we can still remember what we're trying to talk about.
1: That's the great Bill Anderson, our interview from 2019. A little uh, little bonus feature this week on the podcast. Our thanks to Nancy Jones. Thanks to you for joining us. Downtown brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength and produced by Carrie Haskell. We'll see you next time here on Downtown.